Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I chat with Aaron Duffy Oswald. The Peaceful Power Podcast is here to help you live a movement-based lifestyle, utilizing fitness, yoga, and Ayurvedic techniques. Each week, I will bring you a motivational guest or a solo show geared to help you take action to live that peaceful, powerful life. All right, so Erin is a certified earth medicine practitioner who writes about reclaiming ancestral ways, including gardening methods, on her blog, which is called The Telling of the Bees. She's also an urban homesteader for over the past two decades. So Erin and I chat a bit about everything um, you know, related to what is earth medicine. So if you're unfamiliar with what it is, we talk about that um, right away in the start of our interview. We chat about the moon and the moon phases and what you can be doing in each of the phases, moon gardening. So if you're unfamiliar with what moon gardening is, um, we chat about that. And even though right now we're in the middle of summer, like we can still be doing our moon gardening practices. Uh, we also talk about magic and magic with a K. So magic that you might've seen spelled, um, you know, M-A-G-I-C-K and what that means and how you can practice magic on a daily basis. We also go through the wheel of the year and what that is. And then we finish with talking about homes studying and working with our hands again and why we feel both of us feel really called into you know creating and just crafting again and so this is really an important episode um, for me because this is stuff that I I mean I just love Erin's work and what she's been doing and we've been following each other for a few years on Instagram and um, a lot of what she's doing is stuff that I have really just um, you know been reawakening to in my life and so you know working with the moon and working you know, in my garden and getting my hands dirty with my little mini apothecary. So this is a great episode if you're, if you maybe are feeling called to that and you don't know where to start, you know, maybe something that she says today might spark an interest and you might realize, oh yeah, you know, maybe it is gardening that I want to try, or maybe it is, you know, getting in the kitchen and, um, you know, making some, you know, potions with herbs and, you know, whatever that might look like for you. So I'm hoping that this sparks an interest into, you know, maybe reawakening some of those wise woman ways that we all have inside of us. All right. Thank you guys so much. And without further ado, here is today's episode with Erin. Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm super excited to have Erin Duffy Oswald here with me today. And I'm going to kind of throw it over to you, Erin, and have us tell us actually a little bit about um, one of the titles uh, in your bio about being an earth medicine practitioner. I want to know a little bit more about what that means to you. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for inviting me to speak with your audience, and I would love to tell you a little bit more about what earth medicine is. So earth medicine is essentially um, the healing potential that exists in all of the natural things around us. I am an animist, so I believe that the stones have... Um, some medicine and magic to offer us, plants do, um, all things have a spark of um, consciousness that they vibrate at. So earth medicine is really the ability to forge relationship with these uh, different things like plant medicine or stone medicine uh, to find their healing properties and to bring them to people to help uh, whatever ails them. One of my bylines is that I like to connect people with, um, reunite them with the birthright of their natural wisdom. These are things that our ancestors knew about and practiced and understood. So it's been my quest as a healer to 
forge relationship with earth medicine so that I could first heal myself and then heal my family and then finally my community because I really believe, especially right now, that it's imperative that we remember that we are humans on earth and what better way to do that than to get into relationship with those natural elements. Ooh, I love that. And if someone's listening and this is like new to them, do you have any examples of like when you say like plant or stone, you know, medicine, what does that look like in maybe a tangible example? Certainly. Okay. Well, right now, um, crystals are very popular, for example. So people like to have amethyst, for example. And um, the reason that they would want to work with that stone is that amethyst is known to have to promote peaceful vibrations and to create some understanding for people to kind of help them uh, work through some of their spiritual conundrums for that's amethyst in particular is is a really great stone for that so um, there is a way to just kind of uh, you can grid with the stone or you can just kind of like work with the stone or hold the stone and let it um, I suppose work its magic on you plant medicine is a little bit different than herbalism but not that different um, a person might use earth medicine to actually ingest. Um, rose comes to mind right now. Rose is one of my main allies. And um, even just imagine the act of bringing roses into your room. Say your heart is feeling a little blue and you need to pick your spirits up. Imagine that connection that you have had when you have taken in the fragrance of rose. That is earth medicine right there. Mm, mm, those are great. Yeah. And I've um, like with the crystals and I had one of the, my friends is kind of like, she was going through with, I believe it was a clear quartz stone and then seeing like your chakras and seeing which ones were out of balance. And she gave me a, you know, a stone that represented, um, I want to say it was my sacral chakra that was out of balance. And we did a meditation on it and it was crazy how it felt. And like, it really is medicine. And I don't even know like for me, like I do believe in, you know, the medicine of that and healing, but have you found if people are maybe skeptical of it, does this medicine still work for them? Oh, absolutely. They're still earthlings. Mm, I love that. So if you're listening, you're like, I don't know, just give it a shot is basically what, you know, you're kind of saying. Certainly. You know, um, the beauty of earth medicine is that when we practice with, um, ethical behavior. So we, we only take what we need and we source things carefully. We're, we're really not doing any harm. There really isn't any harm that you can do. So it's, um, it's safe, it's gentle, and it's effective. Um, the medicine wants to work with us. These allies want to work with us. Mm, yes. Now, another thing that I know that you're passionate about working with is, you know, the moon and the phases of the moon. And that's something I also really do enjoy as well. But I don't know if we've talked a ton about this on the podcast. So can you tell us a little bit about maybe the phases of the moon and how we can work with the moon in our lives? Definitely. Um, I, I also think of myself as a, a moon medicine practitioner and um, the moon offers us so much wisdom and it's such a beautiful, elegant system. So um, the moon has eight phases, and for the sake of brevity, I'll kind of just talk about um, four of them. Um, there are two tides of the moon, 
the moon waxes to full. So from the dark of the moon or the new moon to the full moon is the waxing tide. And that's when you can visibly see the moon getting full. And then the waning tide, which is from the full moon to the new moon again. And inside of that are quarters. So when you see the moon looking half full, that's um, probably the first quarter moon, unless you're up really early in the morning, um, you're not going to necessarily see the third quarter moon because it does this beautiful dance in the sky. And the more you learn about it, the more you can kind of start to identify if you see the moon in the daytime sky, for example, um, you'll know that's probably um, during a certain phase of the moon. So we want to kind of, I believe that at the new moon or the dark of the moon, that is a time actually, um, it's very popular in our sort of meme culture right now to uh, talk about planting intentions right at the new moon. But as with moon gardening, which is how I put this into practical motion, we want to sort of bathe in that sea of potential and possibility. Think of the void and that darkness. So. Until we see the crescent moon in the sky, that's when we start to initiate our plans to actually plant our seeds. But I believe from a spiritual perspective that it's really important to kind of allow ourselves to be in that sea of potential for just a little while during that new moon or dark of the moon phase. And then when we see the crescent in the eastern sky at sundown, that's when we want to kind of kick our plans into action. And at the quarter moon, we might be faced with a crisis. Is this coming to fruition? What does my plan need to keep propelling it forward? And then we get to the full moon phase, and that's kind of like the fruiting. The, the, you're really starting to see some tangible action from what you have planted. And it's also a point of release. And then just after the full moon, we've got here I am going into more than just the four, but this is my favorite moon phase is the, um, the waning gibbous just past full moon. And I've heard this compared to um, the sharing moon. And one of the ways it was described is it's after harvest, you've got your grain in the granary and it's time to go down to the dance hall with all your friends and have a good time and kind of bask in the glow of what has come to fruition. And then, you know, that can also be a point where maybe your harvest didn't stack up exactly like you had intended it to. And it's a good time to take stock of that and allow that to inform what you want to initiate in the next cycle. But before we initiate the next cycle at the new moon, in that waning phase, it's time to release, it's time to clear the decks, it's time to assess what didn't didn't work, and then, and this is so key, and this gets us kind of in that circle back to the new moon point again, we need to rest, mm -hmm. take a break, take a pause, and just sort of be in that sea of potential and allow the divine inspiration to reach us. And then we start it all over again. And that's kind of how the phases of the moon work. And then when we add the astrological component of that, every two and a half days, the moon moves in and out of different signs of the zodiac. It adds a whole new flavor to each one of those phases. And as the uh, wheel of the year turns, we get a chance to experience all of those different zodiac signs in all of the different moon phases. And uh, it's just a really elegant and beautiful system. It, it's uh, uh, 
it seems really complex, but when you take it day by day, moon phase by moon phase, zodiac sign by zodiac sign, and just allow yourself um, time to learn, you can spend a lifetime unraveling it, but it's just a beautiful process and it kind of starts to show you the way on its own. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. I love the way you described it. I mean, it's, um, it's so once you're studied it, even just a little bit, you're like, okay, it does make sense. And just following those phases. And, um, even if you get, like, I have my wall calendar that goes through the moon phase so I can see where it's at every day of a month. And that would be, you know, a practical way if you're just kind of starting out of just like, how do I even know what phase the moon is in? Cause people are like, people will ask me, you know, like, where is it at? And I'm like, yeah, there's so many apps now or calendars and it's a lot easier. I feel now to track it besides obviously just going outside and even looking, but those are great ways to kind of get started with working with the moon. And I know one of the ways that you do it is through your moon gardening. And I want you to kind of explain, you know, what that is. And is this something that you can use, you know, basically the entire, you know, season, or is it just when you're planting, you know, your garden, how does that kind of look? Oh, that's a great question. It's absolutely something that you can use throughout the entire cycle of gardening. And in fact, I would attribute moon gardening to being my greatest teacher for gardening in general. I organize all of my chores, my garden chores around the moon gardening because um, I like to say that a lot of people are not really gardeners. They're planters. They Mm. love to start their seeds, but the tending and the growing part kind of falls by the wayside. And um, we want to get to harvest. We want to get to fruition. So um, the earth signs and the water signs, actually starting with the water, that would be the the number one sign that you want to look at. Um, So if the moon was in cancer, that's the prime day for planting um, or watering your garden. And when the moon is in fire signs and air signs, those are the days that we want to work on harvesting. You want to harvest when um, the moon is in a dry sign or a fiery sign because um, you want long-term storage. So if you work with the elements, and that's how I teach this practice, is to um, understand what the action of the elements are. And each uh, sign in the zodiac is ruled by an element. So that kind of helps to break it down a little bit further. And um, once you kind of get that intrinsic understanding, I mean, we, we live in this dimension and we interact with the elements on a daily basis. So you already have that wisdom inside of your bones. And if you just can kind of uh, take some, I guess, relief in the knowledge that you've probably already got an inherent understanding of this, and allow yourself the opportunity to play with it. Let it be um, a sense of play that kind of takes over your process and um, experiment, curiosity. But that's, yeah, that's how I have learned how to garden for the last, well, learned and have practiced my gardening for the last two decades is just to let the, the phases of the moon and the signs the moon is in help to dictate what I needed to do. My dad was a gardener, but he was kind of more of the planter. So he taught me a lot about getting organized. He was a Gemini, getting organized, making your plans. But then the tending part just would sort of, you know, go to the wayside. So, you know, every year I learn something new and, 
I, I really, I can't, I can't credit Daryl dad for, for, <laughs> for my success, but I can credit grandmother moon for teaching me how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can relate to your dad's style of gardening. Cause I feel like <laughs> I also, my husband always tells me, he's like, you're really good at starting it. And then picking it once it's ready, but the in-between is where you sometimes falter. I'm like, I know that's the, right. that's the hard part. <laughs> and sometimes it's a matter of just not, not really knowing what needs doing, but if you're looking at this practice, it can get very frustrating, particularly after the moon is in cancer, because that's such a heavy planting day. And then um, it goes into uh, Leo. So you're not supposed to plant during Leo and you're not supposed to necessarily plant during, during Virgo. It's a little more barren for an earth sign, though it does favor vines. Just like the English language, there's always exceptions to these rules. But you can find yourself feeling frustrated, particularly at the beginning of the season, because you want to get going. And rather than, um, you know, focusing on the planting, your beds need to be prepared before you plant. You have to cultivate at some point. And once your plants are growing and thriving, you'll need to watch out for pests and disease. Um, So knowing that when the moon's in Leo, it's a great time to destroy pests. That's when you go out and make sure your plants are healthy or clear unwanted growth. So as I said, it just really, you know, through that, that constriction, if you will, by saying, nope, I'm only going to do these chores on these days, um, it helps get me out there. It gets me in the garden, even when there isn't anything to quote unquote plant. Mm, I like that. And as a Virgo, I'm like, oh, good. That's to me, I'm like, great, check a list that I can kind of follow and get things done keep me on track because otherwise I tend to get lost in myself. So I like that. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look into this. And I know that you have, someone's listening and they're like, how can I learn more about moon gardening? I believe you have a course on this. I do. I teach moon gardening, uh, in my course called garden magic. So the moon gardening is kind of the foundation for how we can take it even further and really apply our intention to our gardening spaces to consecrate the ground and bless our, our endeavors from the very beginning through that harvest phase. So um, garden magic really relies on moon gardening because we are lacing in so much intention in the work that we do. Um, I love to bring magic to the mundane or to bring a perspective that there really isn't anything mundane at all if we're going about our our daily life with a sense of reverence and a sense of the sacred in all of our actions. So um, it's really a lifestyle for me and it's how I approach everything that I do from the garden to the kitchen to householding to homesteading to all of it. So. Um, what you might learn in, in the Garden Magic course, for example, would be um, if you wanted to work on a particular area of your life, it's kind of like creating a living altar and you might plant a garden bed with um, different elements of earth medicine. Uh, some crystal gridding is definitely a part of it, but choosing plants that specifically will give the medicine that we've been talking, like we've been talking about the earth medicine aspect. So you want to search for things like uh, rose again. That's a great example. Roses are ruled by Venus and they are such a powerful plant for love and 
protection. So if that was something that you were needing to bolster in your life and you wanted to add a little bit more intention to the planting of your rose bushes, you could employ the garden magic, which would probably instruct you to include some rose quartz when you planted the rose in the ground, um, would choose a day and a time that would be best to plant it. And then also, because you've set that intention, every time you go to tend that plant, you're kind of adding your energy and amplifying that spell work. And um, yeah, it's, it's just a, like a beautiful meditation in a way. A, a, a walking meditation at the same time as continually adding to that magical intention. Hmm. I like that. And I love that you can, you know, bring in the magic into the mundane, as you had said. And then when you're speaking of magic and we have a magic with a K at the end, and if someone mm -hmm. has, or in your, I think in your bio too, it says that. So if someone's kind of like, oh, what does that mean? Is that a misspelling or what does that K mean? Because they've maybe seen this in other publications, but they don't realize that it means maybe magic in a different way. Yeah, it does. And I'm using it that way to reclaim the word magic. Um, magic as in this sacred spiritual practice that um, it transcends, say, what you know, an entertainer that would be doing so-called magic tricks is doing. So um, it's a way, because of my ancestry, I am Irish and English, and I, I really hail from these Celtic lands, and um, witchcraft is kind of hand in glove with what my very far distant ancestors were practicing. And so when I use the word magic in that way, I am using it to honor those women, my foremothers, and um, to bring it into the vernacular of modern times when I think it's really important that we're mindful of not appropriating other cultures. Um, so for me, it's a reclamation of the act and the word, and it's also a nod to my ancestors. Mm, yes. And I want to, you know, kind of dive in there because something, you know, that you had said is like the witchcraft and it, that might freak some people out or they're just not as experienced with it or what they've seen in movies. When you talk about that, can you tell us like just practical ways that maybe you bring that into your life so people can see it's not maybe what Hollywood shows it to be? Right. Well, the word witch is um, rooted in Welsh and it actually is related also to the word wicker. And it means to bend. Mm -hmm. So when we're practicing witchcraft, essentially we are we are bending intention. We are um, making prayers in motion is kind of what I think of it as. So what I just have been talking about in terms of my moon practice, um, that is where it all begins. And back to my Celtic roots, I mean, the Celts were amazing astrologers and astronomers, and they timed what they did to the seasons and to the stars. So the act of following the moon and the act of timing my activity to it is a very practical example of witchcraft. Um, when I have had discord in my family, for example, I have made candle spells, which are, again, kind of a prayer in motion. I've lit a candle and maybe I've ringed the candle with um, healing herbs or healing stones and made 
petitions to the universe or to the benevolent gods for healing to find its way into my family in whatever way the universe sees fit because the universe and the benevolent gods are going to know better than I exactly how to direct that. So it is about claiming that it's within my power to make these petitions. It's within my power to ask the universe to um, intercede on my behalf um, for the betterment of myself and my community and my family. Um, and I just see it, as, a, as I've said, as kind of an active form of prayer. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, you know, I've definitely been on that road myself the last few years and just kind of, I feel like there's so many people kind of just awakening back up to that magic that has been lost and, you know, that wisdom that we've had inside of us that maybe got buried down and we're suddenly like, okay, like it's time, it's time to come out and it's time to use, you know, that wisdom. Absolutely. It's, it is inherent in all of us. And um, those of us with European descent, um, we, we have, um, there, there's a, a really unfortunate history about what happened to the wise women in Europe. And so there, the word witch is scary and it's culturally been ingrained in us to be afraid of that. Um, and, and that's a whole nother discussion because it's huge and it's, it gets into big swaths of history that are challenging and troubling to talk about. But I use the, that word also to reclaim and to um, remind people that there are indigenous traditions that belong to people of European descent. Um, I'm a shamanic practitioner. I am not a shaman, but I am able because of my ancestry to claim the word witch and say that proudly. Mm. Mm. Now, another thing that, um, you know, maybe is kind of along those same lines is, you know, practicing with the wheel of the year. Now that might be something that is new to people as well. And um, if people are coming at this and they're like, well, is this, does this go against my religion? And I think sometimes again, there's that fear that's brought in around this. Can you just talk about a little bit about what the wheel of the year is and, you know, how maybe you go about practicing with it? Oh, I love the Wheel of the Year. So the Wheel of the Year is um, a, a beautiful practice. Well, it's a beautiful metaphor for the eight solar holidays. So there are many people will be familiar with the winter solstice, the summer solstice, the equinoxes. But in uh, the Celtic calendar, there's also the cross-quarter holidays, which are uh, at, on February 1st, Imolk, um, May 1st-ish, I, sh I should say ish, um, Beltane or Bieltana, Lunasa falls at the beginning of August, and then Samhain is the end of October, beginning of no November. And I say ish because there are many, many calendars and people kind of choose different reasons for celebrating them. Some stick with the calendrical date, some go back to the Celtic way of when it's 15 degrees, Aquarius, that's when it's the most. Um, and I kind of look at where the moon is also and kind of decide which, when I'm going to call it to celebrate those cross-quarter holidays. Um, but the cross-quarters, I think, are really particularly powerful uh, because they invoke kind of this... Um, beginnings, middles, and ends, and these liminal places that were very, very 
important to the Celts, for example. And um, so when we talk about midsummer as the summer solstice, people might be confused about what that means. But in the Celtic calendar, summer actually would have begun six weeks before that at Beltane. So the midpoint of that season is the high point is the summer solstice. And it's an agrarian cycle. And it, it also harkens back to the moon, like I was talking about before, with the planting of seeds and the tending and the growing coming to fruition, and then honoring the death of the plant and the fallow time as well. And in that metaphor, you know, we are the plants. This is our lifespan. And each year is kind of an opportunity to go through that cycle and to honor the beginnings, the middles, the ends, the life, death, and rebirth cycle, um, which really is at the heart of what the Wheel of the Year is. So it allows um, just one more level of expression for this beautiful kind of cyclical thing that I've been talking about. And so much of it is really about honoring the cycles and appreciating that our life has a cycle and each day has a cycle, um, each project has a cycle. So I think that um, it just really helps us, particularly in this Western culture where we're very adverse to acknowledging the death part or acknowledging the rest part. We're very focused on um, manifesting and gaining in, in a lot of what I observe. So um, I think it's just really key to have a holistic practice to bring it back into this whole picture of life, death, and rebirth. So the wheel of the year will allow you to do that, particularly if you live in um, a place with four seasons. You can really see that. And again, this is natural wisdom. You, you, you probably already understand it and already kind of have that in your bones. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I just started exploring that again, probably the last few years. And I really, I really notice a difference, you know, and it's something that you probably have felt because I, I mean, in Minnesota, we definitely have all four seasons and you just kind of have that energy and you just can't explain what it is. And it really, it's that, you know, wheel of the year that we've known for, you know, years and years and years. And it's just that stuff that we just kind of, um, you know, either just never learned about growing up or, um, it was pushed down and now again, just awakening back to that wisdom. Um, and one of the things that, maybe if people are listening, um, you know, like, do you have to be any certain religion to practice the wheel of the year? Cause again, I think sometimes that's where the fear comes in is like, what is this? And, you know, can I be practicing this? You know, if I'm Christian, do I have to switch religions? Well, I would actually venture to say that the Christian liturgical calendar in many ways already follows the wheel of the year because they, the, many of these holidays are supplanted directly on uh, what the old holidays were. We're recording this conversation on Good Friday. Mm -hmm. And um, this is, the word Easter itself actually comes from the Germanic go goddess Ostara. When people get a little bit confused sometimes about where Easter bunnies and chicks and eggs and all of that symbolism comes from, but it goes hand in glove with the resurrection. It is the same energy. So like I said, I mean, in, in that example, in many ways, and, and, you know, with the birth of Christ at this, the winter solstice, when the sun itself is reborn, um, in some ways, 
is you may already be observing the wheel of the year. Mm, yes. Yeah. And I think that's, um, I don't, you know, cause I want to like help people who might have that fear of that. And that's something that I know for me, just the more you kind of dive into it and just learn, you know, exactly what you were saying about where things come from, you know, the more that you can kind of educate yourself and be like, okay, this is not something to be scared of, you know, like that's, that's something I think that helps, you know, when you're first learning about it and you might be like, okay, I think I understand what these, you know, women are saying, and I'm interested, you know, just start exploring it and just kind of see what you come up with and, you know, making up your own mind about, you know, these different things that maybe they're going to change your life and you wouldn't have known, you know? That's right. And it, you know, it is inherent to our being humans. And so, I mean, I, I certainly can't speak to the theology of all religions, but I would say that um, if you're a human from earth, you, uh, it's your birthright to follow the wheel of the year. Mm, Yes. Um, Now, you know, kind of, I guess, kind of switching gears, but I want to know about, you know, homesteading and how, you know, how you do it. Cause I know that you do practice homesteading, you know, can you tell people a, what, maybe what that is, if they're not familiar and then any tips, if anyone's out there, like I'm kind of thinking about, I want to do that myself. Well, I, I'm an urban homesteader. I, I don't have much property. I live downtown mm-hmm. in my little Montana city, but um, it's funny because it, I, I live in like I said, a super urban neighborhood. So for me, again, it's kind of like this active resistance to be as close to nature as I can be to reclaim and practice my ancestral ways and still be in this modern world. So to me, the act of homesteading is to try to produce as much of my own food as I can, to try to minimize my waste as much as possible, to um, just kind of live in a holistic way. I, I think a lot of it is born out of a desire to just have a healthier lifestyle. So to create my own soap when I can, to to just eliminate unnecessary chemicals and things like that. Um, I don't have any chickens or anything like that. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I'm really just homesteading with the plants and with, um, making and being a maker and doing as much of that as I can on my own. Um, and I, I, like I said, I do it for kind of these reasons to honor my ancestors, but also because it's a lot of fun and it provides me with some entertainment. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Yes. And that, yeah, that's something else. Another one that I just started adding to my, my list is I have like a little you know, mini apothecary going in my office and I can just like pull out some stuff and, you know, create different, like I created this salve for my son for skin knees this summer. And then of course, like I chopped part of my fingertip off cutting potatoes. And I was like, well, I guess I'm the first one to get to explore this salve. And it's wonderful. It worked wonderful. And I really healed up my finger and I'm like, oh, this is, this is great. You know, getting to like know that I created that and I made that from scratch. And that's kind of, I mean, it's a cool feeling when you can kind of do some of that or even, you know, growing your own food, if that's something that maybe you've been intimidated with, with a garden, it's, it really is a neat experience when you get to see all of things that you have done and created and, you know, get to use them. It's so empowering. And it really, um, I think it's just very important to preserve these arts. 
Um, I am a fine artist as well. And a lot of what my, my vision has been for at least the last 15 years is keeping my eye on this digital and analog world. I, I was born at a time where I witnessed the switch over from the analog world into the digital world in a very profound way. And I love technology. I was a pioneer in social media marketing 10 years ago, and we wouldn't be able to have this conversation without technology right now. But I'm always keen to look at how much of our humanity are we trading off to have the convenience or the so-called convenience of this, uh, this technology. So to kind of offset my sort of digital footprint, if you will, I really believe in preserving as much of these ancestral uh, practices as, as possible. Mm. Oh, I can still relate to that. I had a conversation with one of my clients. I was telling her, I was like, oh gosh, I just hate, like I, I just recently deleted my Facebook account and um, uh, I still have my Instagram and I know they're owned by Facebook, but I'm just like, okay, that's still more fun for me and playful. And I'm like, well, I would just prefer just to have like no like internet, just kind of be off in the woods by myself and, you know, just have a group of community living there. And my client looks at me, she's like, you know, they always fail because someone always rises up to power and to get power hungry. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I can dream, can't I? You know, and so it's such an interesting, like, you know, as you're saying that, I'm like, huh, maybe that's why. Cause I just, I, I just have this fight with technology and just having to be plugged in. And maybe that's why I started, you know, making things. And as you were saying that, I'm like, oh, that's, that is probably why I just have this pull back towards that because that is another way for me just to, you know, unplug and just do something for me. Absolutely. I mean, we, we have literally changed our brains. Mm -hmm. And so when we get our hands dirty and we make things with our hands, we're reconnecting with that original part of ourselves before we started to rewire our brains with social media and technology. Yes. Now, um, you know, the last few things that I want to chat about is something also using our hands is the kitchen magic. And I know that you have an upcoming course all about kitchen magic and explain to us, you know, maybe what that means. That's something that I love. Like I consider myself a kitchen, witch. I love getting into the kitchen and exploring and playing. And I never follow recipes. I'm usually always creating my own things. And um, I want to know about this course of yours. Oh yes. I love kitchen magic so much. And for me, it's just the natural evolution of garden magic. I've produced all these herbs with that are just, you know, chock full of intention. I've grown this produce with my whole heart, mind, body, and soul. And so taking it into the kitchen and then elevating it for our culinary pleasure, there's no need to stop with the magic there. So everything, every ingredient has some kind of magical property. Every technique that we use can be considered from a magical perspective. Um, and then the, again, the gift of giving that food to our families and our friends. So we, back to the metaphor of healing, um, so maybe we've had discord. Maybe there's been a fight in the family. Maybe there's some tension that needs to be healed. And we've been doing our candle magic and we've been saying our prayers and we have our healing herbs from the garden. And now it's time to, we're going to get together for Sunday dinner. So 
with intention and sacred reverence, I will prepare the meal and I will um, say prayers over the food and I will put that healing intention into it and um, you know, set a beautiful table, bring everyone together and just allow that medicine and that magic from the many, many, many layers of intent to come in and with the benevolent universe, hopefully see that healing start to take place and start to see things shifting. And um, yeah, it's just, just uh, to use a cooking metaphor, continuing to fold in more and more intention at every step of the way. Mm, and where, where can people find that at? So kitchenmagic.com is where that course is going to be held. And um, you'll also be able to find things about that on my website, thetellingofthebees.com, or on my Instagram at talktobees. Talks to bees. Talks to bees. Perfect. I'll make sure I have those linked up as well in the show notes. And is there um, Instagram the best way to connect with you, send you a DM if anyone has any questions? Yeah, Instagram's great. That's kind of where I hang out most of all. I do, um, the Telling of the Bees has a Facebook page as well, and you can contact me on my contact form on my website. Perfect. Oh, thank you so much, Erin. Um, I have one final question for you. So I always like to end the interviews with a weekly challenge. And then when I have guests on, I have you throw out kind of a weekly challenge to everyone. So what would you like that challenge to be this week? Mm, okay. So this week I want to challenge everyone to get outside and to explore the elements Feel the earth under your feet. Feel the wind on your skin. Observe the moon in the sky. Feel the rays of sun. And just explore what it means to be alive and what it means to be an earthling here and now on this beautiful summer day. Mm, I love that. And that one we have not had. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Erin. This has been such a great conversation. And um, I always love, and I, we connected on Instagram. So I'm very thankful for that connection. And I just love following you and learning all of the information that you put out there. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Oh, you are so welcome, Andrea. Likewise, it's been a total joy and pleasure to get to know you on Instagram as well. And thank you so much for the opportunity to come and talk to everybody on the Peaceful Podcast today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. Thank you so much for listening to the Peaceful Power Podcast. And if you want more information about today's show, head on over to andreaclawson.com, where you can also find my free guide to working out for your body type. And if you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review the show over on iTunes and share it with any of your friends that you think would benefit from hearing the peaceful power message. Thanks again, and go out there and spread your peaceful power.